gathered together to tell you that looks shouldn't be deceiving. It's, <laughs> that's, that's good. That's good. Well, in our, in our society today, I think that a, a simple statement like that would throw somebody because they're trying to make it Just that wait. Way. Just wait. Yeah. Now, warning for the day. We're just going to dive right into it. I've, I told you we were going to be dealing with humanity for the next few weeks and some issues. We're going to be diving into some more stuff next week, but before we get there, let's do a quick re- a, a quick quick recap. Okay. They're in English even. In English. Somewhere yeah. in India, there's somebody listening going, man, I speak better English than he does. Yeah. He, well. Stop judging me, guys, okay? It's not like I did this for a living or anything. <laughs> 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 we're going to be all right. We are going to be all right. So, quick recap. If you haven't listened to last week's, go listen to last week. It will help you. Genesis chapter 1. Humanity is dependent and comes from God. God defines us. God makes us, and we are what we are because of what God has done. So the reason I remind you of that real quick is because today we're getting into the weeds. We're getting into one of those deep, theological, confusing conversations that everybody goes, you just can't make sense of this, and we have to agree to disagree. No! No. No. Let me hit the table that time. There you go. I missed it the first time. He's animated, folks. I'm telling you, it's going to be a day. We are going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 because we can do this, people. We can make sense of this without having to pull out 27 Greek lexicons. Oh my. And cross-referencing like the ancient Babylonian Sanskrit texts, okay? We can do this. So we are going to make sense of this at a basic level, all right? So be imitators. And by the way, the reason why we're going to doing this here is because it's going to help us understand when things are right and wrong, all right? Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. All right, stop. This has nothing to do with anything else we're talking about, but it's an important distinction, and we should always make important distinctions when we see them. Discipleship actually matters, Christian. We follow after Paul. Why? Because Paul is following after Christ. What is our goal in Christ? To, wait for it, follow after Christ. So when I see someone following after him rightly, what do I want to do? Do the same. I want to go do what he's doing. Yeah. And as long as he continues to do that, I can follow that example. And by doing so, people coming behind me can do what? Hey, look, that guy's following after Christ. We want to follow after Christ, so we will follow after that guy. Right. What do you know? This makes sense. And i got to stop doing that. I keep moving my left arm. So I've got something on a pinched nerve. Uh-huh. So if I snap my arm just wrong, my tricep actually pinches the nerve on my funny bone. And my whole hand goes numb. It's very bizarre. It started last yeah, week. and it's issues. like Yeah, so I go like that. It's like, ah! My whole hand tingles. Wow. Don't ask me why. It just does. I'll take, again, I'm not, and no, for those of you asking, I'm not going to a doctor because if I go to a doctor, they might find something wrong. And this is my new theory on life. If I don't go to the doctor, they can't find anything wrong with me. Then you're perfectly fine. Exactly. I mean, I already know what issues I've got. I don't need to find more stuff. 
<laughs> it's my story, and I'm sticking to it. So this is replete in Scripture, though. Not that don't go to the doctor, but that discipleship is important to you. Right, right. This goes all the way back to Deuteronomy. What's Moses trying to do in Deuteronomy? He's trying to remind the Israelites of everything that has come before in their Exodus journey so that when they enter into the land, they will remember God and walk in his ways. That's where our great Shema comes from, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. What shall you do in the light of that knowledge? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm sorry, all your heart, all your soul, and all your might. The, these words which I'm commanding you today shall be in your heart. Teach them to your sons. Talk them when you sit down in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Bind them as a sign in your hand. They should be frontals on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and of your gates. In other words, all of your life should be oriented towards what? Faithful walking and following after God so that you will disciple those who are walking with you. Yeah. Novel idea, right? Yeah. That's why Paul in Ephesians does what? I say this and affirm together with the Lord. Chapter 4, by the way. Walk no longer as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. They, having become callous, have given themselves, given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. So, in other words, we don't want to be like those guys. You didn't learn Christ that way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught him just as the truth is in Jesus. So in other words, if you're in Christ, you don't walk like that. Peter makes the same point in chapter 2 of his first letter. You yearn for the, for the uh, milk of the word if you have what? If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Mm -hmm. So because you're in Christ, you seek discipleship. This is why we don't do Christianity from the top down. Well, and that it's not an a la carte religion. You, whatever religion you came from when you come into Christianity, that has to die. It has to go away. You can't mix the faiths. So you would think stop that, acting like a Gentile. In other words, stop doing pagan things. And realize also that this is motivated by what? Your love of Christ and his working in you. Right. If you want a good example of that, go listen to what we did on Sunday morning, the mm -hmm. Sunday morning sermon right. on Acts 2. For, for the Holy Spirit yeah. influencing and guiding. So, in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you are being renewed in the spirit of your mind, put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and in holiness and in truth. So, to summarize the very next chapter... Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Right. The reason I follow after Paul is because Paul is rightly following after God. The minute he's no longer rightly following after God, you know what I stop doing? I stop following after Paul. Simple, basic, and easy. And I just realized something. We've been having issues with our sound this whole time that we've been trying to fix. And I think I just figured out what part of the problem is. So let's try that. Ooh, yes, I like, I like. So there we go. <laughs> so this is a starting point. Now, before we go any step further, remember this in the conversation that is to come. No matter what weeds you think you may be digging around in, no matter what rough you're trying to find your shot in, the goal of this is what? To walk after Christ. So we can make sense of this as long as we understand it as an issue of discipleship and sanctification. So, yeah. let's have some fun. Now I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. What traditions? Teachings of the apostles, handed down through Christ, built upon the foundation that is the scriptures of the Old Testament, the promises of God, and everything that has come before. Easy enough? We can all stipulate to that? You'll see the same thing in the 23rd Psalm. Walking through the valley of the shadow of death, walking towards who? Walking towards God. Why? Because God is 
with me and walking with me and preserving me. I am persevering because I have not been forsaken of God. Simple, basic, and easy. Do me one quick favor, Lou. That bottom blue dial right there. This one here? No, no, no. The, the blue dial right there. You turn that above your hand right there. Turn it all the way. Keep turning all the way to the right. There you go. Thank you, sir. That was what I needed. There we go. Somebody's been playing with some stuff, and i got to get it figured out. Don't ask me why. This is crazy. Live! Live fixing the sound system as we go. Now that I've done that, there's probably some bizarre, crazy hum that we're not picking up, and so I apologize if something's broken. It should be working, but it's not. Yeah. <laughs> this is what I get for organizing. Yeah. So... But this is what the 23rd Psalm is about. Jude does the same thing. While I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing to contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all handed down to the saints. So as you said earlier, there's no mixing and matching. This is not an a la carte thing like an awesome steakhouse. This is walking in godliness. You take it or you leave it. Right, and, and, and God is not capricious. He doesn't, he's not forever changing. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He sets things, you know, his word is forever settled. Therefore, his salvation is settled. That's right, that's right. That's why we can count on the, the, the redemptive works of Christ, and, and we, can, we can know what's righteous, and we, we know how to please God. It's written down in a book. The, a novel concept, as that may be. Yeah. So, let's get into the weeds now. You ready? Uh-oh. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. Now, a couple of distinctions here. Every man is subject to who? Or is it home there? It's, we're all subject to God. We're all subject to Christ. Yeah. Everyone. There is an authority there. Mm-hmm. Now, notice what the apostle does not say. Christ is the head of... Every man, and the man is the head of a woman. Is he the head of all women? No, just his woman. Just his woman? Yeah. Yes, this is where we club her over the head and drag her back to the cave, right? No, we already covered that a couple weeks ago. We don't do that. Or put her in a closet, you know, one of the two. <laughs> hey, 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 what happens before the podcast stays before the podcast. <laughs> Just goofing off with my wife, so don't... Trying to keep her out of trouble, you know how that goes. <laughs> so... This is not women, but women are supposed to be under an authority. It's either their father or brother or husband, because that's the creation order. It's a protective measure. It's not like, later on, you're going to get into it. You're going to get into it. Yes. But it's a protection. We want to establish some issues. Now, again, that that is based upon what? The fact that husband, father Mm -hmm. have been given the responsibility of exercising dominion. His wife... His children have been given as helps in that garden. They are not responsible to that work. He is. So in the family, as you're growing up, who is responsible for that dominion and the, and the discipleship of that family? The father is. Uh, yeah, so in some instances, the father is gone. Mom picks up. Grandpa takes over. Older brother begins to take over some of that role. Those are good. But that authority is still answering to God on behalf of the family. So that is why he is answering to Christ and that the women that he has been charged with are answerable to him. This is not, I walk down the street, I see a woman go, hey, come here, woman, you need to do what I say. That's not what's going on here. I want to make sure we cover this. We have right. a rightful chain of command and authority as given by God. Right. So stipulated, so it is written. So it is done. So it shall be done. There mm-hmm. we go. Heel burner. The man, the, do what? It was that heel burner. There you go. Yeah, yeah it, Moses, there you go. Well, he's not Moses. He's technically Pharaoh, but yeah. is he Ramses in the movie? Anyway, it doesn't matter. The man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. So in all of this, this is summarized how? In godliness. The goal of this is what? The building out of 
sanctification and salvation. As in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15.22. Romans 5 makes the same argument talking about how sin comes through a man, salvation comes through Christ, and therefore we do what? We are to walk in the new Adam. We are to walk in the new man, which is Christ. It's the same point we've been making out of Ephesians and that Paul was just making at the very beginning. Nothing has changed. This is about walking in faithfulness. So, here we go. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head, for she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. All right, stop. What in tarnation is Paul talking about? To be honest with you, we don't have, like, specific exact answers. But it is obvious that he is making an argument from what? From the culture that is in Corinth. I was just going to say, there's there's something cultural here that we're not grasping. Agreed. Now, so what does that tell us? From the very beginning, that there is a cultural definition that says, you're a man and you're a woman. Right, there's a distinction. And now that cultural distinction is based upon what? That God has created male and female. And in that culture, there are uh, accepted norms by which men operate and women operate. Now, those are not in and of themselves sin issues. But they are a part of how you are expressed. So a good example, and we're going to get to this a little later when we read an article. A good example of this is if I walk around, I am an, I am, my ethnic heritage from European descent is Irish, Italian, and English. Oof. Yeah, the people wonder why I'm weird. Now, if I walked in tomorrow and I was in an above-the-knee plaid skirt, what would you say? <laughs> After I stopped laughing? Uh, yes. I don't know. Are you Irish? Uh, you're Scottish? Or? <laughs> See, you would, start, you would wonder because you're like, no, you're English and you're Irish and Italian. The mini skirt is not a part of that cultural expression. So you would think there's something amiss here, correct? It's a kilt. Well, it's a kilt. Now, if I was Scottish <laughs> yeah. and I walked in in a plaid above-the-knee skirt, you'd be like, is there Where's a the Highland part? game, something? Yeah. Because I'm operating within a cultural expression. Exactly. Good point. Now, that matters because there are, those, there are cultural norms. Now, again, those norms are not in of themselves set in stone, but those cultural norms are the expression of what God has made. Agreed? Yeah, sure. Paul is operating that here. So somewhere in Corinth, a man covering his head is something that a woman would do. Therefore, right. when he is covering his head, he is putting himself under an authority other than that which is in Christ. That's a good point. That would be a problem. That is a sinful expression of his masculinity. Because what he is saying is, I am now under a different authority from that which is God. Conversely, for a woman to not identify herself as a woman by in that culture covering herself, she is saying that I am outside of the authority that is given to me in Christ. Therefore, I am stepping out of what it means for God to have made me as a woman. Mm -hmm. Agreed? Yeah, sure. Okay. This stuff matters. For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off of her head or her head shaved, let her cover her head. See, this matters, and we can find some some answers to this earlier in the letter. See, this is where, again, reading your things in context help you. Go back to chapter 9. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. To the Jews I became as a Jew, so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, through not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those without the law, as without law, 
though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ. So let's use a modern day example. <clears throat> if I was going to do evangelism in a predominantly Western country, and my wife was traveling with me, would I expect her to cover herself slightly? I, I think she should dress modestly. Would it be surprising, though, because there's a, there's a name. In that. So there's like the full hijab where all you can see are the eyes. The burqa. Yeah. And then there's the, is it the, is the, is it the niqab where it's, the head is, the face is exposed, but it's a covering for non-Muslim women oh, well. so that they can honor the culture. You know what I'm talking I about, I know exactly though. what you're talking I about, but I don't know the I think that's a niqab, but I'm not exactly certain right off the top of my head. I had it earlier, and as with all other things, bridled around in there and fell out. Mm, so okay. <laughs> would I expect my wife to walk around in the full hijab where it looks like the only thing you can see are the slants of her eyes? And the answer is no. Not, not in our culture. No. no, but if I was in a predominantly Muslim culture and I was doing evangelism. Oh, yeah. I, wouldn't, I would not put her in that, but would I put her in the accepted non-Muslim covering? Absolutely. Yes, I would. Yeah. Now, if I was vacationing there, do I care? And the answer is... Probably not. Probably not. Dress modestly. Right. Don't offend. Yeah. But do I need to make sure that I'm appealing to that sens sensitivity? And the answer is no. But if I'm trying to do evangelism and seeking to dialogue and I'm going into your home and trying to establish relationships. Right. If you want to keep this topic on what the topic yes. is, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna conform a little bit to... Yes. To That's what Paul's getting about in 1 Corinthians 9. Yeah. Right. That's a helpful understanding because he's already made this argument as we come into 1 Corinthians 11. So Paul is saying there are certain aspects of the culture that we walk in so that we don't cause offense so that we can proclaim the gospel of truth. Head covering in Corinth would fall into that category. For a woman to shave her head in that cultural... So you can't be Sinead O'Connor in Corinth and be respected. Right. If you're Sinead O'Connor in Corinth, something has gone terribly wrong. They will know something is wrong. You're either an immoral woman or you're, you're souping. Something's wrong. So what Paul is saying is in your worship service, understand that distinction. Because you're walking in that culture on the outside, honor that on the inside. You don't change who you are in godliness when you're walking in and out. You are consistent in who you are. Right. Now, if you don't care, then don't care. But recognize that you are violating what is accepted in that culture, and you are ruining what would be a testimony and an opportunity for evangelism, right. and you are blurring the distinctions between what it means to be male and female inside and outside of the body of Christ. Yeah, I mean, what, what we're really talking about is context. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's context when you're reading, and there's context when you're dealing in cultures, and you have to be aware of who you are and where you are. Exactly. Yeah. So, let's continue. I just lost my spot. For a man ought not to have his head covered. Why not? Since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. Man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. So he's making a creation argument here, which we talked about last week. Man was created and given charge over the creation. Woman has been given as a help in that charge, but whose responsibility is that still? It's still his. It's still his. And woman, you know, if you're, if you're reading the scriptures rightly, women are still in the image of God. Of yes, course, we're yes. not arguing against that. Listen to last week, we made this argument. Yes, so this is, this is right on par. But the point may be made here is, because a man is responsible unto God, he is not answerable as a man to the other aspects of what is going on in culture. Not to God. He may be answerable to other people in his job or in the, in the marketplace, but as a man leading his family, he is not. Right. He is accountable to God. Right. Therefore, for him to mark himself as under another authority would be wrong. Right. So. Right. 
Indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. She is given as a helper. Therefore, woman ought to have a symbol of authority over her head because of the angels. Now, thanks, Paul. Appreciate it. Now, we can try to make sense of this in a way. So Matthew 18.10 tells you that you do not despise one of these little ones. They're talking about the children. For I say to you that the angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. So there's something about angels watching over the church, angels watching over the believers. You can see this in Revelation 2 and 3 where the letters, uh, John's letters to the churches are addressed to who? The angel of the church. Right. Now, does that mean an actual angel? Does that mean the Holy Spirit guiding the believers? Does that mean, I have no idea. Right. So if you made me pick, I would say the guiding work of the Holy Spirit who's overseeing the church, the one who's going to enlighten their understanding of these letters and apply that rightly. Conversely, though, if that's the interpretation we're going to take, then for the angels here would mean walking in godliness. Once again, you are following so that you're not quenching the spirit, so that you're not um, diminishing the work that God is doing in your fellowship in things seen and in things unseen, that those that God is utilizing to guard, to instruct, to build up, to accomplish his purposes are not denigrated, are not cast aside, but that in all aspects of your life, you are walking in godliness. Make sense? Yes. So, however, in the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. Once again, Paul has made this argument earlier in Corinthians. Go back to chapter 6. Um, you do, not, do you not know that you are, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? Mm-hmm. For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in the body. And he takes that example and he builds on that in the chapter 7 where he talks about relationships between husband and wife. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. In other words, you, in marriage you belong to one another. Well, you are dependent Right. Dependent upon God, independent right. upon the inner working the of your relationship. One. Yes. Right. So you don't, get to, you don't get to say, I don't have to talk to you about this. No, no, no. You're married. You do have to talk about this. You do have to discuss this. And remember, that's the context here. This is not men versus women. This is about headship and authority. This is about a man with those oh, under his authority. Mm-hmm. He's ta- so Paul is talking about a wife. He's talking about children. My children. I have a 10-year-old son and an 8-year-old daughter. They do not have the right to go out and get tattoos and body piercings. Oh, come on, Dad. No! No! (laughs) Why not? Because I say no! Why do I get to say no? Because I'm their father! And if they come to their mother and their mother says no, and I... I, Do they they need to come and ask me? No! Well, that's the way that they do it, though. They like to play the... (laughs) And you know what they do when they do that to me? What'd your mother say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I want to know. Because right. first step is, no, we're going to be on the same page here. If you asked your mother and she gave you an answer, you don't need to come and talk to me. You have been told. Right. And if I have a problem with your mother's answer, you know who I'm going to talk to about it? I'm going to talk to your mother. Not before to you. I, I'm yeah. not going con- to contradict her with you. I'm going to go talk to her. We're going to come to a decision. Right. And then we're going to come back to you. And that happens. That's happened raising kids, can you imagine? Where, well, my wife is, where my wife has said something and I'm like, time out. And we talk about it, and sometimes I still side with her, even though I had questions, and sometimes I don't, and we change the decision. Mm-hmm. I don't change the decision. We change the decision because we work together. That's what Paul is getting on about here in chapter 11. He's talking about the authority of discipleship because ultimately who's going to answer to God for those children? Predominantly I am. Yeah, the father is. Yeah. I'm going to stand before God and go, here's what I did. You're the head of the household. Yes. Yeah. 
and she's and she's gonna and he's gonna go. Why did you do that? Because he told me to. <laughs> she gets a cop out, and I don't. It's a privilege too. It is. I mean, it's not like it should be a burden. I mean, some men <laughs> see it as such, and yes. some women don't like being told what to do. But it, it's supposed to be a, a union, and it's supposed to be joyful, and it's a huge responsibility for the father, and he should be willing to take that up. I mean, if he's going to be a father, then he he ought to be willing to do what is exactly. right. Exactly. Now, notice, notice what I'm talking about. I am literally advocating for me not stomping around like a dictator. Right. But working, discipling, discussing, because wait for it, there might be times when I have thought through an issue wrongly. Right. I mean, I know it's rare, and I can't remember when it's ever happened, but the possibility <laughs> still exists. <laughs> Excuse me. And it's my wife's job to go, wait a minute. Have we considered this angle? Yeah, because sometimes yeah. I haven't. Yeah. And we talk about it, and then you know what we do? We then present the right answer as we have formulated it. That's how this works. So that's what Paul's getting on about here. For as woman originates from the man, this is what I also love, the man also has his birth through the woman, and all things originate from God. So in other words, dude, where'd you come from? Mm-hmm. <laughs> go take an eighth grade science class. It will do you good. That's what Paul's getting on about. You don't get to sit there and go, oh, me man, you woman, woman come from man. She gets to go, oh, yeah, me woman, you man, woman, man come out of woman. Mm -hmm. Because we're all born, unless you were hatched in a lab somewhere, which we are getting closer to. It is 2021. But until we get there, Mm -hmm. you still were hatched some shape, form, or fashion. Both my kids ended up being C-sections. That's why I tell them they were hatched all the time. They were not born. They were hatched, and that's what's wrong with them. (laughs) That's fine. Can't imagine why more people wouldn't sign up to be my kids, could you? So, again understanding this there is a responsibility now again all of this responsibility is summed up under whom it is all summed up under god in christ right so this is all how this is walking judge for yourselves is it proper for a woman to pray to god with her head uncovered and the answer is in your culture in that corinthian culture the answer to that would be no because she's not standing acting and looking like a woman Therefore, she is not in that context of that worship service doing what? She is not standing as who God has made her and what he has made her. Right. So what we're trying to do is understand what the author is trying to convey and what the listeners would have understood it to mean. Yes. And then we're going to try and apply it to our lives today. So, does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, does it dishonor to him? And the answer is yes, it does. Culturally speaking... There are almost no cultures in human history that consistently have long-haired men. It's all, I say almost because somebody's going to be like, oh, yeah, there's this one culture. There's this one native tribe that was in, like, the southeastern corner of New Mexico, and they, they occupied two square acres, and I, I don't care. The vast majority of human history, this is why I hate Bible movies and things sometimes, because I always joke that the star of, of every Bible movie, when they portray Jesus, his name, this, the same actor, his name is Vidal Sassoon, because mm. he's always got the flowing locks. And if you don't know, Vidal Sassoon is some, you know, cheap salon hair shampoo and conditioner. Mm. But that's every dude that's ever played Jesus has to have flowing hair. Guys, he was a carpenter. He wasn't doing the man bun. He was cutting his hair because you don't want to get it tangled up in your furniture and everything else you're making. Likewise, Peter, James, and John, they're fishermen. Ropes, nets, throwing them overboard, reeling them in. This is not something you want piles of hair running around with. Most of these guys were probably very clean cut. Because it would have been deadly to be throwing nets and things with hair running around. Tangle your hair up in the wrong place at the wrong time, and wee! There I go into the Sea of Galilee, never to be seen or heard from again. Until you catch Nessie, I'm gone. I mean, this is... I'm just picturing that. There you go. You're you're better for it, aren't you? Mm Mm-hmm. 
for the most part, humanity has settled into this. Men have short hair. Women have longer hair. Now, again, are there exceptions? Are there exceptions? Yes. But culture, for the most part, identifies this. But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her. I mean, how often have you ever walked up to a dude and been like, man. That's glorious. That's just some amazing (laughs) hair. How long are you growing it? Because that's just, I mean, dude, that is awesome. Doesn't happen. Very rarely. I have seen women stop each other at stores to talk about what shampoo and conditioner they use because their hair is so amazing. And I'm not even kidding. Mm-hmm. I'm not even kidding. No, I, 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 yeah, I've witnessed it myself. It's, I've got six daughters. And so. next thing you know, they're, they're, they're like rubbing each other's head. Like, it's so silky. And the, I mean, it's babies, pregnant stomachs, and women's hair. Mm-hmm. They just have this agreement that they're allowed to touch each other after like three conversations. I'm serious. Right. Two women will walk past each other in Walmart and hand off a baby. They didn't even know each other five seconds ago. But somebody said something was cute, and then they're like, can I hold an ear? And then they come up and they rub your tummy when you're pregnant. That's, that's for some odd reason allowed. And all you have to do is say, man, your hair is so amazing. What are you doing? Next thing you know, she's rubbing it and holding it out, and they're all stroking each other's hair, talking about whose is oily and whose is curly, and how do you straight? And they have to know each other for about 45 seconds in order to accomplish this feat. That's what Paul is getting on about. That is just universal in culture, even in Paul's day. Paul was walking around the marketplace like these women are just talking about what they do for their hair, and I don't understand it. I just do not understand it. (laughs) So there you go. But if one is inclined to be contentious, we have no other practice, nor have the churches of God. See, why don't the churches of God have a different practice? Because it is what has been affirmed in nature. It is carried out in culture. In the Christian church, are we free in Christ? Yes. But are we free to forsake the basics of humanity as given by God? And the answer is no. No, we're not. Well, you know, you got to ask yourself, are you free to do what? You know what I mean? Um, so am I, am I free to buy whatever I find in the marketplace and eat it? And the answer is yes. And Paul's going to cover that. In, in, uh, in Corinthians. He's going to deal with that because it matters. But am I free to sit there and go, now you need to eat it too? And the answer is no. My freedom ends. Conversely, am I free to operate in my household as God sees me fit in discipleship? And the answer is yes. But am I free to do so in a way that violates the basic ordinances and foundational work of God? And the answer is no. No. No, I'm not. All things are permissible, but not all things are profitable. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I am not. So conversely, I am not free. This is why I don't watch too many sitcoms that American television produces. I am not free to look at my children and go, don't listen to me. Only do what your mother says because I'm a moron. I don't have the freedom in Christ to do that. I may want to some days, but I don't have the freedom in Christ to do that. Why? Because what am I usurping or what am I surrendering? I am surrendering Your the authority, authority and, the, and the duty that God has put upon me. I'm not free to go say, just go ask your mother. I don't care. I think that's one of the reasons why we see society on the brinks of just imploding upon itself is because we see dads that don't want to be a part of that, don't want their authority. And this, we talked and about this last when week. And we're seeing societies <clears throat> that are, are making laws that are taking these rules and laws away, you know, these rights away from fathers. It's, it's, it's a crazy world we're living in. Well, and we also see fathers abdicating that responsibility, which I think is the biggest problem. Yeah, now, granted, right. is government encouraging that? And the answer is yes, because yeah. we've covered this before. Every time government forgets God, government seeks to do what? To become God. Right. So when government goes, we don't like God anymore, ooh, we'll be God. Right. Which means you don't need to answer to him. You can now answer to us. 
Right. We'll do the work. We'll take care of these things. We'll supply and provide. That's not supposed to work that way, but that's what they do. Right. Now, this connects to what we were talking about last week because we have similarities in Christ as men and women. We have a responsibility before God. We are both made in the image of God. We both have responsibilities in the culture at large, but we are different. And there are some cultural expressions that make men men and women women. And we can't blur those, and we cannot forsake those. So I used the example earlier. I can't come in in a plaid skirt. I'm not Scottish, which there's an Austin Powers joke that I won't make. I'm going mm-hmm. gonna, I'm gonna to fight myself. It's actually, technically, it's not Austin Powers. It is Mike Myers. So, uh, so I Married an Axe Murderer is a, is a good movie, but anyway. Yeah. yeah I, I, I won't make that. I remember that movie. I won't, I won't make that joke right now. So conversely, I don't come in. Here's, here's a good example. If I came in tomorrow in a full-length flowing gown, you know, loose-fitted, you would look, see, you're making that face again because you're immediately going, that's just weird. But if I used the same description of that garment and told you I was going to Abu Dhabi, is that weird? No, I mean, because that's what they wear. Because you pictured something different, didn't you? Well, in our culture, the way you made it, well, <laughs> I, you, I, you intentionally yes, said it the no, way I you did. said it. If but. I said full-length, full-sleeved, flowing gown-like apparatus in American culture, you're like, you're picturing like something from the Miss America pageant. Yes. Yes, and you're frightened, and but, you should be. But the minute you say Abu Dhabi. But, but if I say I'm wearing a long-sleeved, full-length, flowing gown-like apparatus, and I'm going to Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. You picture something different because there's a different culture at work. Mm-hmm. So there is a distinction between men and women, and I am fitting into that culture. I am not forsaking what it means to be a man. I am operating within that culture's understanding of it. Agreed. Right, right. All right. Yeah. This becomes an issue because we have to be able to work through these things in a logical manner. Right. The ERLC, which I have been on record, if you have no idea what I just said, <clears throat> the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission – is the, let's just be honest, it's the political wing of the Southern Baptist Convention of which this church that we are sitting in is a member. For how much longer, I'm not entirely certain most days. But I've been on the board that we don't need a political arm. We shouldn't, they haven't, they had, their offices are in Washington, D.C. They lobby, they, they send briefs to the Supreme Court, they do all sorts of crazy things that I'm like, why are we spending millions of dollars a year on this? But that's neither here nor there. If you're going to do it, you should at least do it right. So this was their article from about a week and a half ago. In a 2014 blog post titled, Let Kids Be Kids Instead of Sexualized Little Adults. That's a title you'd never think anybody would have to write, is it? Writer Amy Julia Becker raised concerns about a YouTube video that tells the story of a child named Ryland. Ryland transitioned from female to male at age six. That should be a crime. Those parents should be in jail. Everybody should be shot on sight. But anyway, the seven-minute video, which has been viewed more than seven million times, shows a cute little girl with attentive parents talking about herself as a boy. Ryland wants to wear a tie and sees herself as a big brother to her little sister. Just so bizarre. When her manner and these preferences stay the same for years, her parents decide this is more than a phase. Experts told them that children know their true identity or true gender by age five. So the parents begin to support Ryland's transition to a boy by cutting her hair short, using male pronouns, and supporting her desires to dress in boy clothes. No. No, no. No, no, no. No, no, no. No, 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 no. No. Just no. I don't care what psychologists say. You ready? Wrong. Psychologists and psychiatrists are like, you can't see my hands, but Lou can, are like this close. 
Yeah. Which is not very. Yeah. You know the little hand motion you make when you say this close? They're this close to being voodoo cult members. Yeah. You want to have, and, and I'm sorry, if you're buying into the psychological voodoo that goes on in this world, I'm sorry, you're not going to find support from me. No. Next time you go to a psychiatrist or a psychologist, ask them how many people they've cured, and I'll wait. Because you know the answer to that is? None. Zero. They don't cure anybody. They either, if they're a psychiatrist, they're an MD. They can prescribe medicine. What could go wrong there? They, um, they usually medicate you to tarnation. Psychologists are overgrown counselors who just want to talk. Mm-hmm. And they're either Jungian or they're Freudian or something else. And, you know, they want to talk about your relationship with your mother or your past traumas. No. Typically what we need to be talking about is sin. Solving sin yeah, mortifying it, walking, walking sanctification. Yeah. No, I will never in a zillion years send anybody to a psychologist. And, and if you throw Christian psychologists in there, I trust you even less. Because typically you have the same problem. Go find a biblical counselor. It will do you good. Yeah, I'm throwing, ah, I just dropped my pen. No, don't run away. I can't live without the pen. There we go. Got it. So let's continue. The Bible teaches us that our gender identity is the identity that corresponds with our biological sex. Yes. Yes, it is. We, we agree here, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is all that it is. Yep. Because God made male and female, a man or a woman's gender is in this sense fixed. We covered this last week. Right. It cannot be whatever we want because our gender is part of our personhood. While affirming this truth, it needs to be nuanced. No. No, it doesn't. Hopefully, again, hopefully with what we've covered already today and what we covered last week. Again, if you didn't listen to last week's, go back and listen to it. We have, we have at least got you to the place where you realize, no, we're not dealing in nuance. There is male. There is female. They are created by God, and they are fixed in how they are created by God. Now, do the expressions of those things vary in cultures? And the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. We've used the clothing example. We can also use the, well, we could also use, we could also use the working example. See, I would argue that when it comes to education, we need to normalize men in education more than we do as a culture. Because we, we, we automatically view child rearing as a woman's job. And when I say child rearing, what I mean is feeding, changing of diapers and things like that. Now, should men never do that? No. Are women primarily going to do that? Yes. Because that's, there's a connection between child and mother that is different than child and father. It just is. Mm-hmm. It's a biological reality. We didn't lug them around for nine months. It's just not how this works. But should there be a distinction in discipleship? And I would say the answer is yes. Yeah, and it should I mean, lean the, towards whom? The, well, the father should It be, should lean towards the father. So education should be a part of what? It should be a part of discipleship. So the fact that we pawn that off of, on women predominantly in our culture means we have a disordered masculinity and femininity issue in our culture. We're using education as a female aspect when it should be a predominantly male aspect. Have fun with that one in the world today. Yeah, they got the whole maternal nurturing thing going education on. Education shouldn't yeah. be nurturing. Right. Education right, right, should right. be disciple. It should be a discipline. Who's more Who's more of the disciplinarian in 99.9% of, ma- of families, mom or dad? Well, dad. <laughs> education is a discipline. Right. Sanctification and discipleship are disciplines they're not a product of nurturing they're a product of right. discipline I, I, I really bring it up as that's i think that's the mentality oh, yeah. is that the, they need somebody and but that's my point that mentality nurturing. is disordered in our culture there are a lot of awesome guy teachers that Agreed. i remember growing up with but 
<coughs> in grade school, most of them are all women. Almost all of them, yeah. almost universally. And that's a problem is the argument that I'm making because the culture has a disordered view of what is masculine and feminine work, right. what is a masculine and feminine expression of work. We view taking care of and teaching children as lesser than, so women do it, as a culture. We don't pay it well. We don't esteem it right highly. We, we just leave it alone. So most men don't think that's an esteemable pathway to go down, so they don't. And I say this as somebody with an education degree. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, this, is, this, just, this just falls under the is what it is category. My point is, as Christians, when we look at a culture, we should be able to say, that is a right expression of masculinity and femininity. We will follow it. That is a poor example of masculinity and femininity. We will not follow it. We not only will we not follow it, we will reject it. And you know when you'll see churches rejecting that? When you see churches have more male Sunday school teachers than female. And why? Teaching is supposed to be a work of the elders in a church. Yet most, most churches can find who to do Sunday school classes. Adults and children. Mm-hmm. You can always find more women than men. Why? Because men don't think teaching is part of what it means to be a man. Booga, booga. Because they have a disordered understanding from their culture. As Christians, we should reject that. That's going to become important as we continue on in this. It's important, so back to the article, it's important to affirm that gender is expressed in a range of ways. Yes, it is. Even in the Bible. No, it isn't. (laughs) No, it isn't. Think, for instance, about the two patriarch brothers, Jacob and Esau. First of all, Esau is not a patriarch. (laughs) Right, that's good. They were both men. Both, But Jacob imaged forth God's orderly rule in the kitchen. He made a legendary lentil stew. Well, let's, let's think about Esau. When he's going to get his blessing, what did his, his father ask him to do? Well, because, he, because Esau was the favorite. Because the yeah, pr- but he went out. He yeah. was supposed to Go kill the game. Oh, yeah. And then he was supposed to prepare it, cook it, yes. just like Esau did. So we're not, we're not given the, the narrative of Agreed. a fair shake here. To be honest with you, the, the problem is, and, I, and I, I've preached through Genesis, I've preached through these passages, and I made a point to, to make a focus of this. Isaac was wrong. The problem was not that Jacob and Esau had disorders, expressions of masculinity. The problem was that that Isaac and Rebekah honored and esteemed them wrongly because of how they viewed them. So Isaac gravitated towards Esau because Esau was an outdoorsman and Isaac liked the food. Mm-hmm. Whereas Rebekah gravitated towards Jacob because Jacob's a homebody. Now, does that make homebody, being a homebody, less of a man? The answer is no. But it becomes that as it moves along... Because he gravitates towards Rebecca. And I think you actually see this as the narrative plays out because all the descriptions, Jacob's voice is higher, Esau's is lower. Esau is stronger and hairier, Jacob is weaker and more smooth-skinned. What every culture almost, well, especially in a Western culture, we would esteem as masculine traits versus feminine traits. Yeah. Being light-spoken. I don't think this is an accident. Now, again, in their culture... Being hairy wasn't necessarily seen as being manly. It wasn't seen as being feminine either. We impart that from our culture, and that's a mistake, because we're reading our culture into the Bible rather than the other way around. The problem is that Isaac geared his discipleship wrongly because of what he liked rather than what honored God, and Rebecca did the same thing. Do you see the problem? They didn't, look at the, they didn't look at their culture and say, this is good, we keep it, this is bad, we don't. They looked at what they liked and said, I like that, therefore it's good. I don't like it, therefore that's bad. They didn't listen to God. They didn't follow after him. They were sinners. Novel idea. Humanity sins. So 
they were different sons, and it's not just Jacob and Esau. And then he uses the kilt analogy that we've already made. So, so on the one hand, our gender is given, and on the other hand, the particular expression it takes varies culturally and relationally. I can agree with that in some portion. According to the American Psychological Association, the term gender refers to the attitudes, feelings, and behaviors that a given culture associates with a person's biological sex. What's the problem here? That's according to the what? The American Psychological Association. Didn't we already establish that the Bible says that your gender and your sex are the same? Mm -hmm. That they are given by God and immutable? That's that's the point I'm making. I mean, who's the American Psychological Association to define anything? They don't get to. Right. Now, as Christians, we from this point forward, we go, no, I reject everything that comes after because what you just said is gender is separated from sex. And the answer is no. Now, the cultural expression may be different, but it is still separated. Now, what does this tell us about Ryland? Ryland's parents and the experts who advised them made early assumptions about Ryland's adult gender identification. It is true that begins to form that kids begin to form their gender understanding early, but the process by this by which this happens is not well understood. Children don't typically need to be taught purposely about their gender. They don't. Most boys will gravitate towards a ball and a bat and things, and most girls. I didn't have to tell my daughter to love pink and want a Barbie doll. She just did. Mm-hmm. She just did, because she saw a Barbie doll and went, "That's a chick. I'm a chick. I want that." <laughs> I didn't have to tell her. They absorb this knowledge from normal course of family life. Now, when little girls want to dress and play like boys, when little boys want to dress and play like girls, it's too early to indicate their gender identity. Time out. No, it isn't. Some of them will go on in puberty and beyond to want to change their biological sex. Now, this is he's going back to the blog article. So he and I would both say that, that blog article is ridiculous. But now we're back to the author here from the ERLC. Simply knowing kids are kids doesn't keep us from worrying. What if your daughter is into boxing and will have nothing to do with ribbons and dolls? See, I'm going to go out on a limb here and I'm going to say, then you need to teach her what it means to be a woman. Does that mean she shouldn't learn how to box? No. No, I didn't say that. But is boxing a feminine pursuit? Is fighting a feminine pursuit? What culture are you coming from, though? I mean, <laughs> I'm coming from our culture. Yeah. Short of some bizarre no. Sheena, the warrior I mean, if princess you're, thing. If you're a you know? Viking, maybe. <laughs> but even in their culture, who went to war predominantly? They didn't send bunches of women off to war. No, but the women had <laughs> to defend the, the home front. <laughs> they did. Now, but this would be my point. So my daughter's just into boxing. Awesome. Why do you want to be into boxing? I want to be able to defend myself. I want to be able to defend my family. I want to be able to go to Walmart and not be afraid of... Awesome! Mm-hmm. That works. I want to be able to make people bloody and bleed. No, See, there's a problem good. there. Yeah, that's, that's See the violence. difference? Now, even if my son wanted to get into boxing, same issue. Why do you want to get into boxing? Reason one, I want to be able to defend my family. I want to be able to defend myself. I want to be able to care for others. Awesome! Mm-hmm. I like making people bleed. We have a problem. See, there's, a, there's a, an expression that is within Christian circles. So would I let my son even get into competitive boxing? I'd have a long, hard discussion about that, and I, I seriously would mm-hmm. because I think there's expressions of that that are right and wrong. Would I let my daughter get into competitive boxing? Mm-hmm. No, not in the least, not in the least because that's not a proper expression of who she is in Christ. Learn, be good, be like, I could beat up that dude over there. You shouldn't try. And that shouldn't be the goal. See the difference? Explaining how do I glorify this thing that interests me and express it as a woman in my culture. You're not going off to war. 
I've actually said this on a podcast. I think Cameron was sitting in that seat. Mm-hmm. A culture that is willing to put women predominantly in the military is lost. I am much closer to the line that women shouldn't be in the military at all than I am to my daughter should be taking up boxing. <laughs> and I know that makes me evil misogynist in this culture. And that's not because women are incapable. It's not because women aren't smart enough to do jobs. It's because what's the job of the military? And how? And who is, whose responsibility is that? Well, there's still jobs in the military that women can, can hold. And, I understand and do that. very well. Then contract those out. Yeah, she doesn't need to go to boot camp. No, they, they need to be disciplined. They, they, need, they need to be mentally hard and disciplined. Um, whether you're a nurse or you're a combat medic or you're an infantry or special forces. But see, I would even is. I would go so combat medic. That's not a woman's job. Well, no, I, I mean no, I understand. I understand. Right. But that's not a fighting position. But should should a woman doctor, nurse, medic, whatever, be within five miles? be within 100 miles of the places that the fighting is going on. <laughs> yeah, typically they're not. But Agreed. I'm just, yeah. I, I think women need to be disciplined. I think they need to be oh, able I'm not, to defend. Oh, I'm not saying they are. Defend, let's say, that things have gone way wrong and you're being infiltrated all the way back to these lines where they're in these medical facilities. They need to be able to defend the facility and protect the people who can't protect themselves. And that, but that's different from yeah. the training, and it should be different from the training that we're giving frontline guys. And I'm and I'm and I'm acknowledging I that. I don't know. I spent eight years in the army, and <laughs> yeah, I, I think basic training is essential because it teaches them how to be that soldier. But um, do do I want a woman on the front lines? No. And that's my point. Now, here's the other thing. So when you go to do your jousting, and they give you the 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 pugil the, the, the pugil sticks. Yeah. Should we be able to line up a woman against you? That wouldn't be fair. No, it wouldn't. And that's my point. There's a way to do discipline while still honoring her as a woman. I mean, I've seen some professional women fighters that I wouldn't mess with. Agreed. But apples for apples, if we're both trained the same that's way. That's my point. It's just not fair. We're and, much stronger. We're, and that's what I'm saying. We're but my, arg- that. my argument for the military aspect is there's yeah. a way to instill that discipline and that training mm-hmm. without putting them with men in that environment. Well, what inevitably happens when you put men and women together is this co-ed stuff that doesn't work out. There's always trouble with that. But that's where the egalitarianism of our culture is going. Why? Because we're not willing to look and say, how do I do that job without being something other than what God has made me? There's a distinction between men and women. And that's one of the things, I mean, go look up there. The Army's having this problem right now because the Army lowered their standards so they could have one standard for men and women. And women are still failing at hand over fist. Yeah, they can't keep up. They just can't. Not physically. Anyway. And so my point is, Mentally, is, there, they is there a way to instill discipline and camaraderie and training in women that doesn't mean go to boot camp with those guys and do everything they're, they're doing? With the guys, no. I think they, they always, they separated the boot camp when I was in. And that's my point. So so let's just be honest and say, you're not doing what soldiers, what these soldiers that are on the front lines fighting are doing. So call it something else. Call it something else. It's not a boot camp. It's training, it's preparation, it's something else. Be honest. Why? Because God has made them male and female, and while they were equal in his sight in value and worth, they are different in how they work in the culture. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I, I, I don't agree with them having something different, even though they won't be going to the front lines. That, you know, the front lines might be the front lines, but then, Agreed. then again, there might be something that happens where you're at and, and you then, need to be able to agree. militarily 
and you should be able and you should be able to be prepared for that and to handle that my point is don't call that the same thing that we're doing for the guys we just dropped in 10 miles behind enemy lines who were expecting to do something. Do you yeah. see what I'm getting at? Yeah, those are spec I think that, but I think that cheapens it. And I, and I understand there's a distinction <coughs> even in that training. But that cheapens what's going on. I mean, I had a goofball friend of mine to join the Army who was like, he's like, it was like summer camp with running. And he was part of that, um, that surge that went into Baghdad. Hmm. Uh, what is that? Fifteen years ago now. Yeah, he's wow. like, he's like, we didn't. He's like, we just didn't sleep because we 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 were in, we were occupying an area, and then we were loaded up and we're driving. And he goes, we moved for three days. We just went straight in, mm-hmm. and it was insane. The training that prepared him to do that is not the training that a nurse needs in order to be able to evacuate her field hospital in an orderly manner. Does that Indeed. agreed? Indeed. And that's why I'm saying honor it as something different. And Warren. Uh, wherever you are, maybe Warren will find this one day. Warren was not special forces. He was a goofball. And he would tell you he was a goofball nitwit. We beat the tar out of him. We got him ready for the army. That was our job as his friends. <laughs> so was he like infantry or something? Yeah. Okay. And so. Right. So there are different um, MOS is what they used to call them um, when I was in. And so if you went to nursing school, that was different. There were still physical um, you know, guidelines that you had to meet as a woman, a man. Uh, and my at, point, at though, age, is, but if whatever. you're going to be a field, if you're going to be, if you're a doctor or a medic at a field hospital, do you need the same physical requirements that Warren needed on the, in the infantry? And the answer is no, you don't. And your and odds are she's not going to meet them. Does she need the same well, training? The they, same? They've yeah. They they didn't have like like women didn't have to do the same amount of push-ups yeah. as men. But, and that's but, my point. Right. And that's my and that's why I say you're already cheapening it by doing something else. Just be honest and call it something else. Yeah. She doesn't need the same firearms training. She doesn't need the same combat training. She doesn't need the same combat training. She doesn't need the same hand-to-hand fighting training. She doesn't. Mm-hmm. She's going to be expected to do something different. Why? Because wait for it. Her job is something different. Right, and they don't they don't mix those. I mean, basic okay. trainings gives you the basic skills, depending on what now branch of the military. Now, now, here's my point: we're trying as a culture to blur those because we're trying to right. say that that woman exactly. can do what he's doing, and and the answer is because of how God has made them, she can't. So trying to pigeonhole her into that is a waste of time right. on the whole. Now, if you can find a woman that can do all that. Then you found the outlier. You found the one in 5,000. Turn her loose and, you know, let her fend for herself because apparently she can. But how many of those actually exist, honestly? And the answer is few and far between. And that's what I'm getting at is a culture that is buying into this blurring of a gender as opposed to separating from sexuality is incapable of saying this is a line and we'll draw it. We as Christians need to look at that and say you have a problem. Well, and we need to be willing for them to think we're I hateful think the line and evil. That has been drawn has been moved throughout the year. Agreed. I mean, the APA, American Psychological Association, used to look at homosexuality and those things as as something that was wrong. It was a disorder, and and now they're lockstep with the LGBT. Agreed. Because again, because what's going on is the the conversation we're having. The point that I'm trying to get to: How many Christians would look at me and go, "You're just a misogynistic patriarchy." How many Christians would look at me and say that? And the answer is a lot. A lot, yeah. I was going to say, I don't know how to quantify that. And that's my point. The answer would just be a lot because yeah. we're not willing to, from the outside looking in, say, guys, there's male and there's female, and they're made by God differently to do different things. Mm-hmm. Guys, go do the hard things that you're capable of doing because you're men. And women, go do the things that allow them to do those things. Right. 
go find the job. So it's it's all about authority. They don't want any and that's type my of point is because I'm I have the audacity to stand here and go no men and women are different. So stop trying to act like they're the same. I become the bad guy. And you know who's okay with that? Well, you don't. I am. Yeah, you don't care. I am. I yeah. just don't care anymore. Yeah. So should you back to this article real quick because we're running Sorry. out of time. No, you're good. No, that <laughs> what you what we just did was right. work through what ends up happening in a culture. And I understand your point. Your point is a woman in the field hospital as a nurse, a doctor, or a medic, she needs to be disciplined. She needs to know how to handle a firearm in case things go really badly. Yep. Now my argument would be, and I was and I'm gonna die on this hill. If she shouldn't be anywhere near a place where there's a possibility somebody might shoot at her. And that's simply because men and women are different, and it is a man's job to protect her. So, and I will die on that hill. So the minute our military is to the point where we might get our women shot at, we're in a bad place. But I'm just going to leave that there. I, th- I think you can understand the sentiment no, that I'm coming that. from. No, I get that, and I, I like so, that idea. And, and, and just for that matter, I mean, women aren't <laughs> issued... You know, if if you're a nurse, you're not issued an M16 Agreed. or a, a sidearm. And so my point would be, so okay, so you're a, you're a doctor, you're a female doctor, you're in, okay, you're in southwestern Baghdad where we could evacuate that, or not, you're in southwestern Iraq where we could we could evacuate that hospital and get you on a ship and get you out of that country in 45 minutes. But we have special ops and we have infantry doing stuff all over the country. Mm-hmm. Should she be trained on how to evacuate, how to use a firearm? How to order operate in an orderly, disciplined manner so that when if if something happens, we've got to evacuate that hospital. That she can do all those things. And the answer is yes. Should she be prepared that if the guards at that hospital are shot at, that she can pick up his rifle and functionally utilize it? Yes. Mm-hmm. That's called wisdom. I teach my daughter to shoot. Right. Why? Right. Because there may shoot. come a day when she has to do it. Right. She can. My, my eight-year-old daughter can handle a rifle. She can handle a pistol. Mm-hmm. I have taught her how to wrestle slightly because if there ever comes a time that she needs to be able to do these things, she has to know how to do them. Mm-hmm. But do I expect her to utilize them in that fashion? The answer is no. And that's my thing is – the, t- the training that she's going to require to do her job and to do it in that manner are different than what a, what a warrior is, mm-hmm. which is what our army is supposed to be made up of predominantly when it comes to actual fighting. Mm-hmm. And my point is the culture looks at what I just said and said, okay, we can acknowledge that part, but she still needs the same training he needs. Yeah. No, she doesn't. The guard who's protecting her needs a different training and skill set than the job that she's doing. Acknowledge that, deal with it, call it a day, and now we're all on the same page again. Yeah. But the culture doesn't want to do that because that's acknowledging that they have an authority outside of themselves, and that's what they don't want to do. They don't want authority. They don't want to admit that and there is the an authority above them. when it comes to this gender <laughs> confusion. And they, don't, and they don't want to admit that that man with that M16 who is trained to protect actually has a duty to protect her. They want to go, no, I'm a strong, independent woman, don't need no man. Then why does he have the M16? Because that's his job. Right. And because that's what he's supposed to do. And we both know that that's that we're better off with him doing that and you not. Not because you can't shoot. Right now my daughter outshoots my son. There are a handful of guns in my house that my wife can outshoot me with, and it bugs me to no end. Hmm. But does that mean that she's usurping authority and she's operating as a man? No. Because I can promise you one thing. If something random happened and somebody kicks in a window at my house, I can guarantee you I'm running for a firearm. You know what my wife is running for? My kids, <laughs> which would be her kids, because there's a different wiring that goes on there. Now, when push comes to shove, what's she going to do when she gets my kids? She's going to go find a gun and find herself a spot where she can do what? She can protect them. Right. And if it comes down to it, she will. We've actually had that conversation. What do we do if something goes bump in the middle of the night and i got to go downstairs and check on it? She knows how to protect the upstairs because that's her job in that moment. Got to have a room to retreat to. 
But what? Yeah. But what would you say if I go? Well, I'll guard the kids, and you go downstairs and see what the noise is. <laughs> see, you're laughing because you instinctively yeah. know what. Yeah. That's not how we that operate, right. yeah. and that's what I'm getting at. We, if we can acknowledge it, mm-hmm. we should be able to acknowledge that in every aspect of our society. Yeah. And that's what happens here. And that's what doesn't happen with this ERLC article. A certain degree of anxiety about our kids is understandable. A very feminine mom can struggle to relate to her tomboy daughter. No, she shouldn't. She should be able to channel what that daughter is interested in into a way that she can exercise those physical gifts that honors God. She should be able to do that. That shouldn't be complicated. The biblical view is that our masculine or feminine gender identities are not established by our cultural gender expression, but are rooted in God's design. Amen. Mm-hmm. We can admit that. Sadly, our tendency, both within the church and in society at large, is to connect gender identity to rigid stereotypes. Agreed. We think girls must wear pink and play with dolls, while boys wear blue and play sports. If we disentangle the biblical perspective on gender from our cultural biases, then we can be set free from these assumptions and fears. Since cultural norms don't make a boy or a girl, we can support our child's interest, even if those don't fit gender stereotypes. Yes, as long as they still fit biblical stereotypes. And that's what I think gets lost in this article. I think so, too. Go read, go look up the URLC and read it for yourself. I think it would be a blessing to you. It is a you. shame to see us blurring the lines of gender in the church. And that's why I'm saying, and this whole military example I think is a good discussion because we should be able to look at something in the culture at large and say, no, 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 you are still subservient to God and must answer to his principles. And if you're not answering to his principles, then I as a Christian need to look at you and say, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. And you need to figure out a way to make it right. Yeah, I don't I don't think that they're giving the, the women the same training as the men. And at least they didn't when I was back in. Now, they still get the basic training. But when it comes to an advanced skill... Um, Women, in general, were not allowed to be in combat arms. And that's the difference now because what the Army is trying to do is lower the standards so that women can attain them. And they're they're still finding out that – because the goal goal of this is to have a genderless military. Right. And my point is you can't. Right. And and that starts with recognizing that there are differences between men and women. And once you've recognized that, now operate like that's true because it is. Right. Well, there's all kinds of studies that have been behind this, but generally a guy cannot, could not stand to watch a woman be tortured for information. The Israelis have discovered this when they tried to, because uh, military service in Israel is compulsory for everyone. Yep. And they tried this with with um, mixed gender units, and what they discovered is the men fall to pieces when you put a woman with them, because they will engage in riskier behavior and they will do dumb things in order to keep her alive. Right. They don't treat her like one of the guys because instinctively they know what they're supposed to protect them. Exactly. Right. Why? Because they're wired like that. Yep. That's, so they're hardwired. We are out of time. So hopefully this was fun, and this last whole bit helps you think through some things because that's the goal of this. So yeah. what have we learned here today, children? God created gender identity. Mm-hmm. Gender identity is defined by God, and our culture should ultimately submit to God. So, that's, when, that's huge. so while we have cultural, and what I mean by that is, while we have cultural understandings of how gender should operate, those cultural understandings are secondary to God and how He explains and how He has defined us. Right. So, questions, comments, complaints, send them to info at practicaltheologyministries.com. Got to be something after this. <laughs> Someone can call me a racist, misogynistic, homophobic bigot or something. Or you can call Lou that for all I care. Neither one of us care. All right. So that's half the fun. So until we meet again, read your Bible. It'll do you good. Bye. Bye.